Good morning. I'm, uh, I'm Bob Roberts, and I am uh, doing a short series here on uh, humility and pride. Let's begin with the uh, prayer of humble access. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table. But thou art the same Lord, whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. I highlighted that one phrase there, we are not worthy, because it picks up a theme that we saw in those uh, testimonies from the Christian tradition St. Benedict, um, Walter Hilton, uh, and uh, Jonathan Edwards from last week. And I think the consensus was perhaps that they had kind of overdone the, uh, the, the, worm, the wormhood of, human, of the human person a little. Um, but, and and this, this prayer of humble access is much more chaste with respect to self uh, self-deprecation and uh, but but it's here it's it's in the prayer and I think it's uh, I want to try to to rehabilitate uh, those three uh, theologians um, towards the end of the talk today um, because I, I want to I think we if we understand the context of that uh, of their concern um, we'll understand them better so the, the, the uh, proposal that I had made uh, based on Philippians 2 uh, is that the humility of a Christian is his or her emptiness of the uh, vices of pride. So the, uh, just as Christ emptied himself of his privileges of Godhead in becoming incarnate for our sake, uh, so Paul is calling the Philippian church to empty themselves of the vices of pride, and he mentions these two, selfish ambition and vain conceit. But those are not the only two <laughs> such vices there are. Um, and at various points in the New Testament, both in the letters and in the Gospels, we get criticism of, the other, of several of the other vices. Vanity, pretentiousness, arrogance, domination, uh, that's kind of lording it over, an, over another, self-righteousness, ethnicism, sort of uh, ethnic uh, narrowness, and snobbery. Um, so humility would be then the emptiness of all of these vices. Now that's a, that's a tall order for human beings because we are we are very prone to these things, probably both biologically and in terms of the structures of our social life, 
um, the competitiveness, the rivalry that goes on in such uh, activities as a presidential election and the kind of way in which we kind of divide ourselves up and feel, feel superior to the other side, uh, looking down on them with something like contempt or disdain. So <clears throat> let's just look quickly at, at a few of these biblical examples of other vices of pride being criticized. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, when you give alms, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by men. So there, these are, here's, it's, this is the, kind, the vice of showing off, right? And sometimes we, we enjoy showing off our stuff if we've, if we've been particularly uh, excellent at something or maybe or even just mediocre. Uh, even if we've risen to the level of mediocrity, uh, we might uh, kind of strut around and, and cause people to see that, right? Um, and uh, that, it, that, that usually <laughs> betokens a kind of vanity. And uh, vanity, of course, means kind of empty self-display. It's a self-display without a purpose. So if you're running a, 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 a political campaign and you really think that you ought to win, <laughs> then you, of course, do want to advertise yourself, don't you? You want to put yourself in the best possible light. But, and that wouldn't necessarily be vanity then. Um, it's vanity when we do it just for the, just for the purpose of uh, sort of vainly building ourselves up. Another example is uh, arrogance or presumption. Um, in Matthew 20, uh, there's a story, kind of an amusing story, uh, about the mother of the sons of Zebedee coming up with her sons to Jesus and asking uh, whether, asking him to command that these two sons of hers should sit in special seats of power in the, uh, in the coming kingdom. Now that's presumptuous, right? That's arrogant to suppose that they that they should be selected out of uh, the out from from the other disciples, or at all uh, that any disciple should be uh, selected for this purpose. And uh, and that that sort of assumption that because of their their own importance, they get this special privilege of of sitting uh, on the right and left hand sides of Jesus in the kingdom. That's that's what we would call presumption or arrogance. Um, but that same passage illustrates another vice, which we call, which I call anyway, domination. And domination is this, this enjoyment that we sometimes have in bossing people around, in, in sort of, uh, in, you might say, encompassing their agency, encompassing their, their, their powers of action within ours and kind of subordinating their, their action to ours. Um, and so when the, uh, when, when the other disciples hear about this, this uh, request on the part of the, brothers of Zebed uh, the sons of Zebedee, um, they say, they, the scripture says, when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers, right? And that's the way we feel uh, often towards people who try to dominate us, who, who are just sort of pushing us around and, and causing us to be their slaves, so, so to speak. 
Um, and again, uh, there's a distinction between just uh, imposing your will on somebody else for a good purpose. And, and sometimes leaders have to do that, right? They have to, they have to herd, the, herd the herd around <laughs> and cause them to do things that perhaps they don't want to do. Um, and so to dominate them in that sense. But that has a, a, a genuine purpose, right? There's a, there's a, a leadership purpose involved there in, uh, in causing the others to uh, act as, the, as one does. And, um, and so that wouldn't necessarily be a vice of pride. It, it's domination when you do this just to make yourself big, make, make yourself important. Uh, Self-righteousness is another one. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I get. And, and of course, this is, this is a vicious kind of attitude, and it's vicious in, in large part because the, the uh, purpose, person who's exemplifying the vice um, is enjoying the unrighteousness of the other person, right? He's, he's, he's thinking, he's, he's uh, actually glad that the other person is, is less righteous than himself. And so it's a kind of contempt. It's a, it's a, this, is not, this, this is contrary to love, right? Uh, you should never rejoice in somebody else's sin. And uh, that seems to be what the uh, tax collector is doing here. Um, there are many examples uh, in, the, in the teachings of Jesus and in the actions of Jesus of criticism of ethnicism. Um, but a really nice one is the, uh, the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan. It's, this, is a, this is a critique of ethnicism because Jesus could just as easily have, have made the hero in this story a Jewish person, right? I mean, sure, surely there were, there were Jewish persons also who would not have passed by the man in the ditch. But Jesus picks the Samaritan, this foreigner, this person who's despised by many, many of the uh, Jews, a person of uh, sort of unclean race, <laughs> according to some kinds of uh, mythology that were going around. And, uh, and he makes him the, the central hero of this act of love. So this, this parable, normally this parable is taken to be about loving your neighbor, right? I mean, that's the question that the, this Jesus is answering. The lawyer stands up and tries to justify himself by asking, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the parable in response to that. So it's, um, it's, a, it's a parable about love, but it's also about humility in this kind of indirect way. And for, for a Jewish audience to hear this, this parable as it was intended, right, to hear it as a critique of their, of their ethnicism would take humility, wouldn't it? They would have to be um, willing to listen to this and criticize themselves, you might say. Um, and then, you know, Paul says this kind of thing 
repeatedly. He says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. All of these, all of these um, uh, divisions, you might say, within humanity are, uh, are broken down by Christ in, in, a, in a certain sense. Now, of course, the, the ethnicities remain. <laughs> we're, we're, I'm sure in this room we've got uh, several different ethnicities, and we might, I don't see any uh, sort of diversity of race, but, um, but we could have that too. <laughs> okay, good, thank you uh, for volunteering. Uh, uh, yeah, so, uh, um, so it's, not, it's not exactly that we, we shouldn't distinguish between men and women anymore, of course. <laughs> That's not the point, or that we shouldn't distinguish between Jews and Greeks. But it's rather that we shouldn't uh, let these divisions be uh, a hindrance to our love and to our treatment of others as, as fully human beings. Um, the, the tendency of the ethnicism is to look down on the other, right? To think, the, think of the other as inferior to oneself. And so that's what's, that's what's uh, vicious. Uh, so, so we can divide the, the vices of pride into these five categories. The vices of distorted agency, and I gave you the example of domination where we're trying to uh, sort of encompass somebody else's agency. The pride of uh, corrupt entitlement, um, claiming, claiming privileges or entitlements that we, that we don't have. Uh, prides of empty self-display, that'd be vanity and pretentiousness. Uh, the prides of invidious comparison, snobbery, self-righteousness, invidious pride and envy. Um, and then the prides of tribal superiority, racism, sexism, ethnicism, homophobia, and the like of that. So, now, here's an objection. I don't know whether this, this objection uh, means anything to you, whether you, you feel it as an objection, uh, but from my philosopher friends, I again and again get this, this objection. A virtue, namely, in this case, humility, can't be just an absence of something. Right? It's not just a vacuum in there. It, a, a virtue has to be able to do things. It has to be able to motivate you, or it has to be able to give you some kind of uh, self-management skill or some kind of uh, 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 an ability to do something. Uh, because virtues are, they get exemplified in actions, right? Um, and so, so this is a puzzle. I don't know whether, that, does that seem like a puzzle to you? Um, because, the, because the claim is that humility, as a Christian virtue, is this emptiness, right? It's just not having any of those vices of pride. It's being pure of those. Uh, well, okay, nobody seems to be uh, joining the crowd <laughs> against me here, so um, let me just, uh, I'll give, okay, Christy. What? Sorry. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. But then... Right. But we wouldn't want to say that humility is just identical with love, I take it. So it's, if it's a different virtue, then it's got to have a different function than love. And you can add them to it, add them together, but yeah. that's, the, that's the issue. So, so um, I just come up with this list of examples of virtuous empty, emptinesses. <laughs> um, a, a door in a wall is an opening, right? It's really good to have openings in walls because if you want to get from one side of the wall to the other, you need to uh, go through an opening. And what is an opening? Just, it's a place where there's nothing. Of course, when the door is closed, then there is something there, but then you can't get through, <laughs> right? So, so an opening is just, a, is just an, a place in the wall where there isn't any wall. And then uh, purity in water, we think that's a virtue. Uh, we, we love um, the clear water of uh, northern Wisconsin or something like that, right? We, th we think that's great water, and it and it's pure, and it's, has the virtue of purity. And so uh, we give the, give the sample, a sample of this water to the, to the chemist, and we say, tell us where the purity is. Give us, give us an analysis of the purity. And the uh, chem chemist comes back and says, I didn't find anything. I, I, didn't, I didn't find anything at all. It was just water. Well, that's the point, right? <laughs> that the water, when it's not got any pollutants in it, when it's empty of pollutants, when it's, when it's va vacated, all, all, the, all the pollutants have been vacated, <laughs> that's the virtue. That's what purity is. It's the absence. And we can all, I mean, you could also call uh, humility a purity of heart, right? Because a person whose heart is not corrupted by the pollution of these vices of pride is going to be a person who is pure in heart, pure in a certain way anyway. Uh, I suppose the person might still uh, have other vices. Maybe he's, uh, he likes comforts too much, or maybe he's, uh, he, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe he's lustful. Um, that, those could be vices, but the, and they're not, they don't seem to be quite the vices of pride, right? So, but if, you, but if you are empty of the vices of pride, at least you've made some progress and it's in the direction of getting pure. Um, and then we could, we could go on uh, with other things like transparency in glass. It's just the, the lack of impurities. It's just the pure, uh, pure purity of the glass, no bubbles. Um, so, there are two things here that I think humility is applicable to that it's very important not to be separated from. One is other people, right? And, and we're talking here spiritually because obviously we're, we're not very, very separated here. We are separated, you know, in the sense that there's a little bit of distance between our bodies and, are, and we're separated in, uh, in, in various ways. But if we are in communion with one another, if we love one another, if we respect one another and cherish one another as creatures of God, as as, as persons, 
then there's a sense in which there's no separation between us, right? That's, a, there's a, that's communion, union together, you might say, communion. So that's, a, that's an ideal in Christianity. You've, you've got to have the fellowship of the saints. You've got to have the communion of, uh, communion of, of persons. And ideally, that's with everybody, right? Everybody under the sun, regardless of, of their ethnicity, regardless of their religion, regardless of their sexual orientation, regardless of their righteousness, uh, uh, and so forth. Uh, it's just communion with everybody. That's the ideal. And uh, it's, of course, uh, difficult. Um, the other thing you, want to be, you don't want to lose contact with is truth, <laughs> right? You want, you want your mind to be grasping reality, you know, so that there's no separation between you and the truth. Um, and um, the, the walls in, that, that are created by the vices of pride are walls that separate people in terms of love and separate individuals from truth. So what's the motivation that's evident in the Philippians passage? What was in Christ that should, the, what motivation was there in Christ that should be in the Philippians? Right? It is in Christ, it should be in the Philippians. What is it? Well, okay. Uh, we'll look at the Philippians passage again. <laughs> um, so here again, I've highlighted certain parts of the passage. Complete my joy by being of one mind, one love, one spirit, one concern, not in rivalry or conceit, but in humility, conceding to others more important than yourselves. Each of you pursuing not your own interest, but others' interest. What is it? The motivation. This is the motivation that's supposed to be uh, enabled by this, by getting rid of the wall that is the dividing wall of separation. Uh, it's love, right? That's what it is. It's, it's fellowship. It's caring about the other. It's pursuing the other's interest. It's uh, conceding importance to the, to the other person. It's being of one, one love. But Paul strongly emphasizes this, this word one, right? He repeats it again and again and again. We're, the Philippians are to be one in spirit, one in concern, one in love, one in mind. And that, one in mind doesn't mean that they all think exactly alike. Uh, they may have differences of opinion. But those differences of opinion are, are encompassed within a kind of agreement about reality and, agree and agreement about what is important. And here's a here's passage from uh, Ephesians, a letter that's quite, quite uh, uh, a sort of a counterpart of Philippians. Here uh, Paul says, for he is our peace who made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility that he might create in himself one new anthropos, one new human being, in place of two, so making peace. And he's thinking about Jews and Gentiles here, 
primarily, but, uh, but this, will, this could go for any kind of uh, division among human beings. <clears throat> so these prides, these ver various kinds of vicious pride are um, walls of separation. Um, I, th I think you can see that intuitively, can't you? I mean, we don't, do we need to go through and just sort of, uh, the, just one example. There's a, there's a, a character in, uh, in um, George Eliot's Middlemarch. Um, her name is Rosamond Vincy, and she is a paradigm case of vanity. She's constantly thinking about how other people are seeing her. She's very, very beautiful, uh, very cultivated for, for her social class. She's constantly sort of trying to get to uh, climb out of her social class and be uh, appreciated by other people. And she gets into a marriage, and the marriage is a complete disaster. And it's a complete disaster because Rosamond doesn't think about anybody but herself. No, that's not right. She, she thinks about other people, but she thinks about other people as, as viewers of herself, right? As adulators, as appreciators, as admirers of herself. That's their function. And that was her, that's the function that her husband has early in the marriage. And of course, he does adulate her. She's a really gorgeous uh, gal and, and very, very attractive in many ways. Uh, but... He can't get through to her, right? He can't, he, he's, he can't communicate with her because of her vanity. Uh, so, um, Paul says, he, Paul uses this, this image of the wall, right? The, the, dividing wall of hostility has been broken down by Christ. The dividing wall that divided Jews from Gentiles and, and all. And it's, so it's as though there was, this, there was this enormous wall and then Christ sort of blew a hole in it. <laughs> and so now you can get from one side to the other. Uh, and so this, and, and he does that, Christ does that by dying for everybody, right? He dies for the Jews and for the Gentiles. And you can go down the list of all the other people he died for, all the other kinds of people. Uh, and, it's, and it's everybody. Um, and so his death, because of, because of its intentionality, right, because of what it's for, because it is out, out of love and for the redemption of the world, D breaks down that wall. And so the Christian, Christian spirituality, the problem of Christian spirituality in this regard is reduplicating in ourselves the absence of the wall, of that hole, or, that, or that hole in the wall where communication can go across. And so the hole in the wall would be the, the spiritual counterpart of that in our hearts is the purity of our hearts, 
of the vices of pride. But then the going across the wall, going over to the other side, where to, to, the, to the people that are on the other side, that, that requires love. Right? So you have two virtues that are coordinated, working together here. Um, so here's a principle of moral psychology. No virtue is a lone operator. Anytime you, you see a virtuous action, you can depend on it that there will be more than one virtue uh, feeding into it, right? Uh, contributing to its, to its uh, being, <laughs> to its being virtuous. Uh, virtues situ uh, are sort of uh, situation specialists. So justice is about distribution of goods and, and uh, you know, the meeting out of punishments and rewards and things like that. That's what justice does. That's its function. It doesn't have the same function as compassion. Compassion is a different virtue from justice, and it's different because it has a different function. It works differently. Uh, it's, it's psychologically different. And, uh, and so, Really, to, to, have, to be a virtuous person, you have to have a range of these virtues. You have to be well-rounded. You, uh, you have to have self-control. You have to have justice. You have to have compassion. You have to have humility, and so forth. And all of these, each virtue contributes its own, um, its own contribution. So, uh, and here's an analogy. Don't expect, expect the plumber to build the house all by herself, right? She's just not gonna, she's not gonna do it. She'll, she'll do her, her bit, she'll do her aspect, um, and she may do it magnificently, but it's not, she, she, she's not gonna build the house all by herself. And so, it, so also is it gonna be true of every other uh, person who contributes to the building of a house. Uh, so now, let's go, to go back to our, our problem of last week about all this self-directed emotional hostility <laughs> that we saw in uh, being commended in uh, Benedict and uh, Jonathan Edwards and the like. So uh, here's a list of just the things that we saw, the kind of self um, self-criticisms um, that we saw in those three passages uh, last week that I quoted from, from those theologians. One is how unworthy we are, and we see that in the prayer of humble access, too. Um, how bad our workmanship is. <laughs> you know, we just often do a bad job of things. And, and uh, uh, our inferiority to others in some particular. Um, we're unfit to dwell among men, <laughs> uh, Hilton says. You know, he says, you know, you ought to be locked up in a room if, by, by yourself where you can't do any damage, because if what if other you just pollute other people's lives. You're you're so bad, right? Um, and when we are unprofitable to our fellow Christians, when we should isolate yeah you know, isolate ourselves because of our bad example. Uh, our finitude and how little we are before God. So these are, these are the kinds of things that are mentioned in those, 
in those exercises of humility that we're somehow, <laughs> you know, to become humble, we need to really, really rag on ourselves, you know, and really just get down on ourselves and, and do, a, do a hatred job if possible. <coughs> um, sorry about this. I hope it will come back. Oh, let's see. There we go. Okay, those are some, those are some of the things, some of the kinds of forms of self-hatred. Now, Friedrich Nietzsche thought Christianity was just a total disaster because because of all this self-hatred uh, that um, it involved that he thought it involved, and he got he had plenty of evidence from the history of Christianity. Um, so, these are all truths that we unhumble ones find hard to get in contact with. So I'm just suggesting that the, it's, the, the, uh, the theologians do kind of get it wrong in, uh, in kind of generalizing and saying we ought to you know, com- <laughs> uh, think ourselves totally unworthy or that, that we're just, that we that we always make make a mess of our of our workmanship, or or that we're always inferior to others. How how could it be that everybody is always inferior to everybody else? I mean that that doesn't even make logical sense, does it? So, <coughs> um, so, uh, but it does happen that sometimes we're inferior to others in some in some respect, and it does happen that we are um, that we're that we do bad workmanship sometimes and so forth and so on. So there are instances of all of these, these failings. And when there are instances of those failings, we ought to be able to admit it, right? We ought to be honest about it. Um, and I'm saying that, uh, the, that the virtue of humility also breaks down the wall between us and the truth. It makes us, it, because we're not being defensive, through our, in our arrogance and our vanity and our, our desire to be the big shot and so forth, since, we're not, since we don't have those concerns anymore, we can just face the truth about ourselves. And, and humility helps us to do that. Um, so the Christian tradition's tendency to think of humility as low self-esteem, I think, is a result of con- confusing humility with contrition or penitence. And these are closely connected, um, but, but humility is a virtue of Jesus Christ, isn't it? I mean, Paul tells us that he's the model. And uh, John 13 is another uh, example of that. Um, he sa- Jesus, Jesus says, when he washes the disciples' feet, he says, uh, I'm doing this as an example to you. This, you should be servants to one another, just as I am a servant to you. Um, but contrition is not a virtue of Jesus Christ. Is it? Jesus Christ doesn't go around confessing his sins and, uh, and bewailing uh, the corruption of his heart uh, the way we should. Um, and so it's quite, it seems to me quite a mistake to, to identify 
contrition, which is a sort of readiness to confess our sins, with humility, which is an absence of the vices of pride. Um, so let's take a look at that prayer, uh, prayer of humble access again, just uh, as a closing. Uh-oh, I did it again. I don't even. <laughs> I really need, need it. never seen my computer do this before. Uh, Yeah, here we go. Yeah, okay. Now I've I've highlighted other items in the in the prayer of humble access. We do not presume to come uh, to this thy table, O merciful Lord. Trusting in our own righteousness, but thy, but thy, but by the, in thy manifold and great mercies, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbles, crumbs. That's what we uh, highlighted earlier. But thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Uh, grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear Son and Jesus Christ, and to drink His blood, that we may evermore dwell in Him and He in us. So. So the, the, the prayer here is in the context of, um, of Christ's mercy, love, the atonement. And it's, in the, and it's in preparation to commune with God and with one another in, in God. Um, so the, the prayer of humble access is, is um, it seems to get the, the theology right here. Um, namely, that the, that the reference to our unworthiness, which is appropriate, uh, it, it's a, uh, an appropriate expression of penitence in, in preparation to take the communion with, of the Lord. Um, but it's, it's not self-flagellation, it's not self-hatred, because it's all set in this context of God's mercy and of our being one in Christ, one with Christ and Christ in us, right? We, we are in Christ and Christ is in us and Christ is the pure one. He's the one who's, who's sin, uh, who, who doesn't have sin. Um, and so in him we're participating in righteousness, we're participating in this, in this, uh, in this, Perfect love and and uh, humility. Um, so there's in this in this prayer there's just this mention right of the of our unworthiness, 
but then it's surrounded by all this grace. <laughs> uh, so maybe we have a few minutes. I've lost track of the time here, but uh, do we have time maybe for a minute, a question or two? What Bruce was saying is that uh, the, uh, the Samaritans were actually not fully foreigners, but they were uh, impure, uh, they were Jews of an impure race. Uh, they'd, they'd intermarried with other groups, right? And so uh, he's saying that they were, they were actually close, uh, closer to the Jews than to, uh, than say, um, some kind of uh, barbarian, you know, some, some Greek or somebody. Um, but they were, um, and, th and that that closeness enhances some of these problems of, of pride. Um, I, I think of envy especially. We, we only envy people who are, who are sort of in the same competitive circles as ourselves, right? You don't, you don't tend to envy Leonardo da Vinci, say, if you, but, <laughs> no, but, uh, um, but if, you, but if you're a, a painter, you know, you might, you might envy the one next door who does a little bit better than you do. Um, and it's because of the closeness. Uh, that, so I, that's Bruce's point, I think, although he didn't make it about humility in particular. Uh, yes, uh, Joel. Back on, on the back row.
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're you're voicing just the uh, the you you really got it. Uh, you got the got the objection. Um, so and and I would just say uh, to you, uh, when you think of that surrender, ask yourself why you surrendered. Right? Did you did you surrender because you want to be in a in a closer relationship with God, say, or did you surrender some entitlement that you have so that somebody else could could have a good? You know, and it looks to me like then the surrender is not motivated by the humility, it's motivated by the love, right? Or it's motivated by the concern to be in, in fellowship with God or whatever. Um, so I, just, I think that if you take, if you just go through all the acts of humility that you can think of and try to, try to find one that, that you, whose, whose motivation you can't attribute to another virtue than humility, then you'd have a counterexample. You'd have a really good case against the account. But Adam? You know, that's a wonderful question. And uh, I th come back next week. Uh, because, because I'm going to, uh, next week I want to uh, talk about proper pride in the, uh, in the New Testament. And we can, we can maybe do some comparisons with self-esteem. So, yeah. Okay, well, I think we should probably um, 